All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schneck. On occasion, I have a guest on this show where we talk about presentations and all that that implies. And I don't know that I have enough of those conversations on this show because most of you listening deliver a presentation, deliver a message in some way, shape, or form almost daily. And I'll be perfectly frank, me included, most of us really stink at it. And so there's a lot of value to uh, today's guest and some of the things he's going to share about how we can improve the ability to deliver that message, whether it's on a stage in front of thousands or whether it's to your, your team in an enclosed conference room. So going to be a very impactful conversation. I'm joined now by Cam Barber. He's the author of a new book called What's Your Message? Cam, welcome to the show. Good morning or good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, I think. No, actually, good morning where you are because you're in, you're in Australia as we record this. Uh, and I'm in the, uh, I guess, the late afternoon uh, where I am. But I just said good morning. It just makes more sense to me to say good morning. Well, good morning. Good to talk to you. most people who hear this will be listening to it tomorrow morning. So uh, uh, good stuff. Anyway, Cam, great to have you. Thanks for making time to join me. I appreciate connecting from the other side of the planet to spend some time with us. Uh, before we get into a conversation around your new book. Uh, take a few quick seconds. Tell us a bit about you and your background. Well, as you said, I'm, I'm Australian, uh, based here in Melbourne. I'm in the United States four or five times a year at this time. My background is that I was in radio. So I was a sales manager at a radio network and an aggressive, well, ambitious young man. And I attended a presentation skills training course, a two-day course. And I wanted to get better. I was one of the most diligent within that course, making notes and trying to do everything just right. And I came away from that course more nervous and more <laughs> self-conscious than before. And, and I've learned since then that I'm not the only one, that this is, this is a relatively common thing. And, and so after spending about six months banging my head against a wall trying to follow these rules that we were taught and feeling very uncomfortable trying to do so, I, I did my own research and I, and I learned that most presentation skills training is built on a really bad idea. And that bad idea is that there's one optimum way of being. And so what a lot of these courses do is say, well, you know, the optimum number of gestures is six per minute. Come on, everyone, do six gestures a minute. The optimum amount of eye contact is three seconds. And there's a list of rules and, and do's and don'ts that they try to get everybody to follow. And the problem with that is people are different. So if you look at public speakers over the last 20 or 30 years, you have Tom Peters and Anthony Robbins who just can't sit still and are moving around and, and have to be in their extroverted style. 
And you have people like Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and maybe Deepak Chopra, who are introvert style, who have a, a slower rate of speech and, and a softer uh, style, yet all of them are effective. So that's my background, and, and it was the frustration from this presentation skills course that led me to doing my own research and starting a training business myself about 17 years ago, and then finally writing this book, which is all about what's your message. So the two points are here that the key measure of success in a presentation is whether they get the message. It's message transfer and message recall. And then to get that right, you really need to be thinking clearly and your natural style with your rough edges and all is the most effective way of doing that. Well, see, I love that because if I read or observe a presentation where someone says you have to have six hand gestures in a minute and you have to make eye contact, contact three times in a minute and all those rules that freaks me out and and makes me as you as you articulated more nervous and more unsure of myself as I'm trying to deliver a presentation I mean you answered the question I was going to ask Nesk and 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 I ask a variation of this question with virtually everyone I interview because they have written a book uh, on a on a subject matter let's that that you know in this case is a common one if you go to amazon and you say hey i want to find material that helps me deliver a better public presentation there's probably hundreds if not thousands of of, of books out there that talk about that and and my question was going to be why did the world need another one? But you, in essence, asked it. And if I'm understanding it correctly, and I welcome you to articulate and expand on it, but it sounds like it's, look, we're all different. We all have a different way about us. We have all, all have a different way of communicating. You need to celebrate that and take advantage of your unique you and mm -hmm. use that as a way to deliver it. Is that the difference between yours and virtually every other book out there on this subject? Well, that's one of the differences. I mean, the main difference is that we take the traditional approach to public speaking and we reverse it. So the traditional approach says, let's work out what's optimum and then from the outside, like a coat of armor, let's make you fit into that mold. And of course, that makes people feel very self-conscious, typically. Our view is, let's work from the inside and go, well, it's, it's the clarity of your message that engages people. It's the clarity of your message and then the, the relevance of the examples and the stories that back that up. So we, we're reversing this approach, this outside in approach, and bring it from the inside. And, and again, if it's like you said, it, it, it takes advantage of the easy way. The easy way is for you to be yourself. Now, what, what do most people complain about when they see a, a presentation? You know, we hear terms like death by PowerPoint. <laughs> well, it's not PowerPoint's fault. You know, you can hit the B key on the keyboard and you can blank PowerPoint out. The problem is the presenters who are standing next to the PowerPoint screen, not moving, repeating what they see, and, and being sort of stiff and concerned that they're following all the rules correctly. What we really need to see is, is people who are comfortable in their own skin, who can think clearly and explain their ideas to the audience. I'm intrigued by your comments a, a few secs ago about this idea you have to focus on the transfer of the mm. message and then the recall of the message. And in my immediate reaction to that, and I welcome you to to comment on what I say here, is that I think most of us, well, you may argue this, I, I think most of us are focused on what we think is the right way to transfer these ideas, this message to an audience. 
I, I worry that most of us, we don't give a damn whether anyone actually recalls it. That's not our job. It's their responsibility, is it not? That, <laughs> that, that I have, my job is just, to, is just to relay information to you. What you do with it is your problem. And I think that may sum up a lot of the reason that most presentations that are delivered on any given day are subpar because we're not focusing on on doing what we can do to help that audience recall this information. Am I on the right path there? You are, but I, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's our fault. I don't think it's the presenter's fault. I think the reason they're not focused fully on getting the message across and bringing that message to life in the mind of their audience is the traditional approach to public speaking distracts them from that. You know, they're so concerned about whether they've got their power tie, whether their body language is doing the right thing, they've got open gestures and not closed gestures, am I right, is this right, am I doing something wrong, that when they, they've got no energy left yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the planning stages or in the delivery on the day to, to, to focus on that. And so you, I think you're right. That is the problem. You know, I, I've got a radio background. And so I've helped put together hundreds of radio campaigns for clients. And what we had to do is say, what's the message? And how can we make it stand out from the clutter of, a, you know, other, dozens of other ads, hundreds of other ads in a day, a lot of talk or a lot of music, depending on the format? How can we connect with the audience, give them that message? And then hopefully they can recall that message a day later or a week later when they actually want to make a, a purchasing decision. So that's, the, that's really where it came from. And yes, unfortunately, people are so concerned about all of this performance, this more superficial aspect, that they haven't found the message at the start of their planning process and then built their whole presentation around bringing that message to life. Cam, I was just in Las Vegas. As we record this, I was in Las Vegas last week at a really, really large an important trade show in the healthcare technology space. And, and it was one of those shows where I want to say one third of the exhibits had a, a, let's just say a stage built into the organization's exhibit anywhere from 10 to 30 seats where people would sit and would listen to a presentation. And those were delivered on a, on a regular basis over the course of the, of the four day trade show. And, and I was doing TV and broadcast TV from there. So I was all over the place, moving around from this place to that. And I was observing a lot of these presentations and I walked by and I, I saw the, you know, we talked about PowerPoint and the traditional errors that people make and just a whole ton of words on those screens and and the and the presenter just in essence reading them and or inviting their guests to just read them and and we could discuss that for a whole episode yeah. and, and but i half the people that were sitting there at these presentations were looking at their phones and reading their notes and they they were hardly engaged in the are there in fact some some guidance you could share to say, how do you, particularly in an environment, and this is an increasingly common scenario whereby which you're delivering presentations is in a very distracted business environment, whether it's on a trade show floor or in a conference room in your building or what have you. Is, mm. is there any tips in terms of how to, to simplify the delivery of that so that, that the message is being seen? is being heard. And, and, you know, I think a bigger question is, I think a lot of people are giving presentations. I don't know that they really know what their message is that they're actually trying to deliver is. Well, that's, that's, that's the argument I have. You know, when you look at this five principles within this book that, that show you how to think clearly, control nerves, 
engage an audience and, and get a message across. And one of those principles is that message transfer is your key measure of success. Not whether you say, um, you know, it's not your performance, it's message transfer. And if you look at people like Richard Branson from the Virgin Group, he says um and ah all the time. Bill Gates says um and ah all the time. But it doesn't matter. They don't follow the traditional rules, but they're very effective at persuading people. So the first thing you've got to focus on is what's your message? This should be the start of the planning process. And what I argue all the time, and every client I work with, I say, well, we've got to test this out loud. Because, so what I mean about the book there is the end of that chapter is most speakers don't know what their message is. And what I mean by that specifically is if you went up to them just before, five minutes before they were about to make a speech or a presentation and said, in the exact words you're going to say to your audience, what's your message? Now, I know this because I've done it many thousands of times. And most people say, well, you know, it's about the, it's all about, da, da, but they really haven't clarified mm -hmm. that message. So that creates uncertainty and, and feeds anxiety because they sense that they really haven't got what the audience needs. Yeah. So I, I would argue that the first thing you do in the planning is craft your message. It should be one or two sentences long. It should be the thing that you end with. So think about wrapping up your, your speech with, so just to wrap up, boom, you know, here's that one or two sentence message. I call it a message statement. And you should test that out loud so that it gets out of your head and, and sort of objectively into the air so you craft it and tweak it and, and get it just right as the first step in the planning process. Just to add one more thing, you talked about PowerPoint and it bring, that bring, you're right, we could talk a, a day about that. But So I wrote an article, there's quite a lot of this in the book as well, but there's a free article at vividmethod.com at our website. But even if you just searched Steve Jobs, Stanford Speech Outline. You'll find the article that I've written. And so the most famous speech in the world, or no, that's not correct, the most listened to or watched speech in the world is Steve Jobs' Stanford commencement speech. Mm -hmm. I think it's got about 80 million views at this time. And what's wonderful about it is he stands up and reads notes. Now, I'm not saying that you should eliminate PowerPoint and read from your notes, what I'm suggesting is that because his message, his structure, and his stories to bring his message to life are so clear, he didn't need PowerPoint, and he didn't. It, it was okay for him to read notes. And so that's my answer to anyone who's putting a booth together or putting a PowerPoint presentation together. Have a look at that article and look at the message and the structure, and that should be your framework to, to bring that alive to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's exactly what I wanted you to say because I think most people are not doing that. And, and they couldn't articulate their message in one or two sentences. They, they would panic and they'd have to open up their PowerPoint deck to, to begin to answer your question, which is the whole point of this conversation. All right, Cam Barber and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? 
Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com. All right, I am back with Cam Barber, the author of a new book, What's Your Message? So, oh, Cam, I... Yeah, I I, I suspect the the statistics are the same today that that people fear public speaking more than death, and I don't understand that. I, I consider myself as one of the very lucky ones because I actually relish uh, public speaking. And I'm not even talking about my radio career and, and doing live broadcasts and all that. I'm talking about when I do give a speech. I, I it's exciting to me and all that. And frankly, I'm one of the rare ones that the larger the audience, the easier the speech is. I have more nerves trying to convince my wife on where to go to dinner than I do <laughs> speaking in front of a thousand people. Well, the book will help you with that too, Tom. <laughs> Good. Well, the, yeah, consider that bump to the front of the line. So there, the, the obvious point here, there are still an awful lot of people who have a lot of anxiety over public speaking. Any, any counsel you can provide there? Oh, absolutely. Look, it's normal to be nervous. Uh, and here's why. And, and as you say, some people like it, but you may not have liked the first time that you made a speech or a presentation or the first time you did a, a particular speech or presentation. So it's normal to be nervous because when we're standing up in front of an audience, there's a, a spotlight on us that's different to most of our experience in, in social situations. For example, even if you're just in a boardroom, you know, there's 10 or 15 people sitting around a table. Now, if you're all sitting and someone throws to you and says, all right, Todd, can you tell us your thoughts? Well, the spotlight is on you, but it's not as much pressure as if someone said to you, uh, hey, Todd, could you stand up, walk to the front of the room and tell us your thoughts? Mm. So as soon as you stand up, you're separate to the group. And, th and that makes us feel a little uncomfortable uh, or it creates an uncertainty. And then when you stand up in the middle of a room and everyone's looking at you like it's a theater, you also see in their eyeballs a, a, a greater pressure. It's, they're sort of saying, all right, you know, you're in charge of the room. Engage us. <laughs> Show us what you've got. So it's normal to be nervous in, the, in that situation. That's point one. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up for, for feeling a little bit uncomfortable. You know, and that's what I see. A lot of senior people that I work with on a coaching basis, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, they, they, they're creating the problem or they're adding to the problem because they, they say things like, you know, so frustrating that I get nervous because I've got 20 years experience and I know my stuff and, and I shouldn't be nervous, but I am and that makes me so frustrated. Mm. And of course, that just adds to the problem. Right. So let's look at what is the cause of anxiety or the cause of public speaking anxiety. And, and that's relatively simple. The cause of all anxiety at some point is uncertainty. So if we know that, instead of beating ourselves up or just being you know, in a loop where our heart is pounding and the physical symptoms are causing us to be more frustrated, we can say, all right, if it's uncertainty, what am I uncertain about? And can I do anything about that? And so what I argue straight away is that the two key things we want to be certain about is, can I be comfortable in my own skin? You know, can I actually speak as me or do I have to put on some armor, some performance? And as I said right at the start, when I attended that, that two-day presentation skills course, they said, you know, six gestures a minute is optimum. And then I was videotaped and they, it was shown to the rest of the group and the facilitator said, now let's look at Cam, count how many gestures he's got. Look, it's 60 a minute. <laughs> so, you know, the implication is you're 10 times wrong, Cam. You know, natural Cam is 10 times wrong. You've got to dramatically change who you are to be a speaker. 
And that's one of the biggest problems with this traditional approach to public speaking. So number one, we want to get certain that our natural style is okay. But number two, what do we want to get certain about? Our key measure of success, which is, did they get the message across? So the way we approach controlling anxiety is focusing people on what really matters. What really matters is, is there a clear message? Is it relevant to the audience? Is it articulated well? Have we got supporting arguments and a structure to, to put that together, which, which, by the way, gives you two more beautiful things for certainty. It shows you exactly how to start a speech and how to end a speech, which, which helps people a lot. So, yes, nerves are normal. Uncertainty is the cause of anxiety. And when you can get certainty about the most important aspects, message, structure, and who you are and how nerves affect you, uh, you can reduce anxiety dramatically by 50 to 90%. Yeah, no, it's dramatic. It's so funny that we spent so much time talking about hand gestures in this conversation because I just, as I mentioned, I was just doing uh, live TV in Las Vegas last week. And, and part of our pre-recording briefing to, to our guests was, hey, if you're one of those hand talkers, that's okay. It adds a little energy to the video. And then if you just stand there like some statue, regurgitating information, if, if you're a hand gesture kind of guy, well, then do that. that. that We have no problem with that. So it's funny how some people are, there are still some apprehension over that rule that you can have only six gestures in, in 30 well, but seconds. Ha, but ha, but ha, it's, it's not our fault. Again, it's right, not your right. fault. Have a look at the political, have a look at just business reviews or, or political speech reviews. There's always a body language expert right. who's piping, and, and if you get three of them in a room, they've all got different opinions, right. um, but they're saying things like, oh, yes, you know, look at this expression, or, you know, he took too long to answer this, or, uh, he, you know, I, I, in the book, I talk about a thing that happened in 20 years ago, which is Bill Gates talking to Congress when Congress wanted to split Microsoft in two. You know, and, and this was a big deal. They, they said, you're a monopoly. You've got to split into, so you've got your operating system in one separate business and all the applications in another business. And every time Congress, the US Congress has said, you're not a monopoly, we're going to split you, they've, they've won. They did it with Standard Oil way back, I think, in the 30s. They did it with the, tel the Bell Telephone Company in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, Microsoft, it would be assumed from history that Microsoft would have to be split. Well, Bill Gates sat in a chair, apparently with really awkward body language, <laughs> according to CNBC experts, um, and basically said, you're wrong, here's why, and he won the argument. So people are concerned about our, our body language and our performance because there's so much talk about it. There's, you know, it, look, body language has an impact, but it flows from your clarity. When you try to, have, to, to, to put body language on like a suit of armor and it doesn't fit with your style, it actually makes it worse. It makes you look more uncomfortable. Anyway, so look, that's why people worry about it, because there's still so much talking about it. Well, the whole point to Bill Gates, as an example, is the one word I would use to describe the guy is awkward. I mean, he's a geek. I mean, we, yeah. he's, he's the first to admit it. And and the, the most common, most popular stuff he puts out these days are these, you know, best books to read lists and kind of things like that. And 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 the, he, he's a complete nerd and he's the first to admit it. And that's the but that's him. Right. I mean, so that's that's the point you're making is that be you be authentic, be realistic, be who you really, really are. But yet you still have to focus. Even Bill Gates has to focus on the message. Uh, and, and that if the message is relevant, well, then that's when it's going to be impactful. So you talk about uh, chunking in your book a lot and how important that is uh, in terms of effective presentations. What is chunking and how does it work? Yeah, good question. So 
There's a, there's a famous paper written by Professor George Miller, uh, published in the Harvard Review in 1956, and it's called The Magical Number 7, Plus or Minus 2. And by the way, it's the reason the phone number is, is chunked in the way it's chunked. <laughs> so in that paper, he identified that the human mind becomes overwhelmed really easily, far more easily than, than we take credit for. So if we don't have some method of sorting information, then we just get lost. We switch off. We, we're overwhelmed. We don't re retain any information. And in it, he talked about the most common method of sorting or structuring information was chunking. And, and this is wonderful stuff. We can use it ourselves. I mean, if, just imagine if someone repeated your phone number. Let's say your phone number is uh, uh, 1234567. Four, so that's the format of a phone number. It's two chunks of different numbers. There's a chunk of three and a chunk of four. But if you imagine your own number, someone repeating back to you, oh, yes, your number is 1234567. Try it. You'll find that your mind doesn't know whether that's your number or not. <laughs> it, it actually draws a blank. And that's because we actually recall the information in chunks. We remember the first chunk when that's done, we then retrieve the second chunk. So I, I recommend that people structure their talks and even speak in chunks. So this is how you might uh, convince, what was it? You wanted to convince your wife to go to this movie and not that movie or this <laughs> restaurant. The, yeah, so, help, help me, please. All right, here you go. So let's take two arguments. You want to go and see Star Wars. Here's two ways of saying, hey, honey, let's go to Star Wars. You know, it'd be good versus... Hey, honey, I know it might not be your favorite genre, but I reckon there's three reasons why Star Wars is going to be a good movie. <laughs> now, I, I, haven't even given you the, I haven't even given you the three reasons, but it already sounds like a, a really clear thought-through message, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. So speaking in chunks is where you, you number the things that you're talking about. There are three reasons for this. There are two reasons. Uh, you know, there are four arguments for this. And then you make it very clear when you're speaking that one section or one chunk has finished before you start another one. So the start and the end of anything is really engaging to an audience, to any human mind. They can't help it. Uh, you know, you talked about people uh, when you're speaking now at trade shows and, and everywhere, you're competing with the mobile phone or the device that's in their hand, in the audience's hand. So even if their attention is down and away, if you say something like, so, just to wrap this point up, everybody will look at you, no matter what, no matter where they are on their, their bejeweled game on their phone or, or the email <laughs> that they're reading, you watch them. I mean, we've tested this thousands of times. If they, their brain goes, oh, something's ending, I better listen. Yeah. And it works the same if you use language that shows that you're starting a chunk or a section. So, if you say, okay, now let's move on to the second point. And people go, oh, well, something's beginning. I better pay attention. Yeah, yeah. So if you can just do this, speak in chunks, show the start and the end, and, and when you're wrapping up, you just have five to ten times more engagement from your audience. Yeah, this and this isn't just for those listening. This isn't Cam's theory. I mean, this is this is real scientific proof. I mean, this this is how our minds function. This is how our minds operate. So this is Correct. this is very very real. Cam, we're uh, I'm way beyond our time limit here, uh, but this has been fascinating. One final discussion that I think may in essence be the most important part of this conversation is this idea that when you're thinking about your messaging, it is very much your branding. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, don't think of it that way, but I think that's very real. Talk us through that a bit. 
Well, look, the first part of the book, in fact, the first 50 pages, is examples of great leaders and the messages that they're associated with. And, you know, I spent a lot of time on Steve Jobs because he was ec- just incredible at messaging. But, you know, I've, I've worked with, uh, I've got examples here of Nelson Mandela and Gandhi, of an army chief, a CEO, the guy that uh, wrote a book about stopping speaking. He, he brought that all down to one message, and that's more effective than any other method to stop, stop speaking, did I say? Stop smoking. <laughs> ah. The easy way to stop smoking. Anita Roddick, who built the body shop into 2,000 stores, and so on. And so... Oh, Richard Branson, uh, Pope Francis. You know, Pope Francis, for example, is a great example. He's coming out with short, repeatable messages. This hasn't been done, you know, by popes in the past. So this is the great difference. This is why he gets so much attention. This is why he gets so much press. So my argument here is that all great leaders are associated with memorable messages. And that's not not an accident. It's not a coincidence. If you want to be a great leader or an effective manager, you've got to start identifying messages that brand you, brand your business, brand your project that get repeated and then that sort of greases the wheels and makes everything easier and more effective. Yeah. To repeat what Cam just said, that is not an accident when a leader Mm. has an impact like that because of their messaging. And and you may work harder than other ma- other managers, but if your messaging is unclear, that's why you're 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 stuck in mediocrity. Ah, such critical stuff, Cam. I hate to say it, gosh, this has been a, a wicked fun conversation. Sadly, we're out of time. Before I let you go, where can people go to contact you? Should they have uh, uh, questions? Where can they learn about the work that you're doing? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of What's Your Message? <laughs> Well, you can get What's Your Message uh, at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's available online now. It will be available in bookstores in May, uh, but don't let that stop you. It's available as an e-book, and the audio book is coming out in April. If you want more information or if you'd like to look at some of the free articles, just go to vividmethod.com. The public speaking method is called the Vivid Method for Public Speaking. And there's a range of articles on how to start a speech, how to control anxiety, how to end a speech, uh, chunking, and so on. Uh, and if you want to get contact me, you can certainly do that from the, the website at vividmethod.com. Cam Barber, the author of the new book, What's Your Message? Cam, a real pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for stopping by and joining us. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, Todd. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I appreciate you making time. All right. That's all for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Cam Barber, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Thank you.